0: A Wagner opera without gods or goddesses, Valkyries or mythic creatures? Find out more about Wagner's Die Meistersinger von Nuremberg on today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast.
1: The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org.
0: And now a word from our friends at Teens Tackle Opera.
2: Greetings from the team of our new podcast, Teens Tackle Opera. We are the National Opera Teens Advisory Committee, a group of teens from across the nation who share
0: a love for opera.
2: Our goal is to increase teens' engagement in opera while sharing the love of art form across America. We want to encourage youth from different backgrounds to share and connect over their passion for opera podcast we talk about a wide variety of topics ranging from why we love opera to how we want to combat opera's negative
0: stereotypes
3: if you want to keep in touch with us or listen to past episodes you can find us on our podcast at anchor.fm slash teens opera or via instagram with the handle at teens tackle opera thanks for listening
0: Instead of all the mythological creatures we are used to seeing in Wagner's operas, the story of Die Meistersinger is set in a community of artisans. The main character, Hans Sachs is even based on a real-life historical figure. I'm Stuart Holt, and on today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, we welcome back Guild lecturer Desiree Mays for the second part of our discussion on Die Meistersinger.
4: I want to talk about these two scenes between uh, Hans Sachs and Ava, and t- it turns out really in both scenes there's a little play acting going on and pretend. They both prepare that it's about the shoes, there's a problem with these shoes and he's, she's got to fix them, but is a teenager, she's in love and she, she manipulates Sachs as teenagers do. You've, heard, you've been a teenager and you remember how they're, they're manipulative, these kids. To get what they want which is she wants to know what went on at the trial at the trial contest she she goes to to talk to han Sachs. it's not really what she <laughs> she wants but that's why she goes so she's a little manipulative it's without malice um but she still t- can throw a temper tantrum um as teenagers do and carita matala on this uh, on this this uh, dvd is is quite wonderful at that she's a great singing actress carita matala Um, So she tells Sachs in the course of this that it looks like Becker is going to be the winner. He's the most qualified, the one who doesn't make the mistakes, as she thinks. And she will have nothing to do with him. She'd rather marry Hans Sachs, which is sort of a thoughtless backhanded compliment. You know, I I won't have anything to do with him, but I can't marry you instead. And in, in this first section, we learn he is a widower. Uh, and in real real life, this was so sad. He was married, uh, Kunal Gunda, her name was, and they had seven seven children, all died. I mean, you, you know what that can do. I mean, if you lose one child, it's the end of the world. But he, he had lost a wife and seven children in real life. Um, he did remarry a couple of years later, um, and this opera is set in that time where he is a widower. He could have been an old, not old. I mean, he's barely 40 in this. Uh, but he could have been her husband. It would have been a possibility. And the famous, famous line comes out of this first scene, art is what matters here. You know, not who I marry or anything else. She, who's she kidding? But but it's art is what matters here. Hier gilt der Kunst. And then in the end of that first interaction, she thinks that Sachs is going along with the judgment of the other masses. He doesn't like him either. So she storms off. She's angry and upset as Sachs, whose perceptive comments I thought as much, guessing that she's fallen in love with Volta and wants him to win. Mm -hmm. So we're going to watch uh, some of that first. This is, again, the Otto Schenk uh, production, James Morris and Carita Matila.
1: It's fun.
2: gesingen wie so
1: knew.
4: see how she's maneuvering him here she's still a child she's a teenager and I promise you she grows up by the next scene when we see her she she gets it but but the tenderness here between them I think that's the love story in this opera it's between Sax and Ava (laughs) really Um, they understand each other and there's an extraordinary warmth that that Morris is so great showing in, in this so we'll go to the second scene now and this comes the morning after the riot uh, it's midsummer day, and everybody's getting ready for the festival. They're all dressed up. Ava comes to Sachs uh, ostensibly again to complain about her shoes, and he plays the game about the fit of the shoe while knowing she's really there to find out about Walter, what's going on. It's uh, a scene four, act three. Um, Ava, ri- richly dressed, uh, though pale and distraught, she's really concerned about what's happening, sucks. God be with you, my Eva. Gruß Gott mein Evchen. Already there's a little term of familiarity, little Eva. It's a uh, familiar term. How noble and proud today. You'll fill old and young with desire by looking so beautiful. (laughs) Master, it's not so dangerous. And if the tailor has brought it off, done the right dress, who'll then see where I'm anxious, where my shoe is pinching me. Sucks, the wicked shoe. It was your whim that you didn't try it on yesterday to see if it fits. Note, I had too much trust. I was mistaken in the master. Sachs, I'm sorry. S- show me, child, that I may fix it." So they go on a little bit about it's too wide, it's too tight, it doesn't fit. And he says, well, OK, I'll fix it. So he takes it off her foot. Now, she is here. Sachs is there. She has her foot on the, the little stool, and he's working on the foot. And then Walter enters from the other room, all magnificently dressed, and she is completely blown away. Uh, silenced, the singer is no longer singing <laughs> at this point. Um, but Sachs apparently hasn't seen him, so she sees him. Um, he now tries to cover. You know, he he, he he loves he loves her. There's no question about that. But he also knows that it's not going to work out for them. So he says, always cobbling, almost mumbling under his breath. While he's fixing the shoes, she's here and Varta uh, is, is across the room. Always cobbling, that's my lot. Night and day, I can't get away. Listen, child, I have thought over what will put an end to my cobbling. It'll be best if I woo you after all. Then I might still win something for myself as a poet. You aren't listening say something. It was your idea, wasn't it? Now, there's great poignancy in this. She's not listening to one word he's saying, because she's only seeing Walter, but he's, he's, he's saying this. Very well, I note it. Make your shoes. If only someone would sing an accompaniment. I've heard a very beautiful song today. Would that a third verse might complete it. And at this point, Walter, gazing fixedly on Eva, sings the Abga song. He's totally inspired, and he sings the end of what is the prize song in the final act. Halfway through, Sack says, listen, child, kind, das ist ein Meisterlied. That is a master song. Walter, wonder on wonder, now appears twofold day. I gladly greet, for like two sons of purest bliss, the most glorious pair of eyes I there perceived. And he sings of the beauty within the framework of the master <laughs> singer's uh, rules, but not exactly. Fox then, uh, having finished the shoe, comes back and puts it on to Eva's foot. Let's see if that's helped the shoe. I think I've succeeded at last. Try it. Does it pinch you? Eva, who has, this is Wagner's stage directions, Eva, who has stood still as if enchanted, gazing and listening bursts into a sudden fit of weeping and sinks on Saxe's breast, sobbing and clinging to him. Walter advances and wrings Saxe's hand. Saks at last composes himself and tears himself away as if in vexation, so now Ava can rest on Walter's shoulder. And again, he is now complaining, covering up his broken heart, Sacks. Cobbling certainly produces its problems, If I weren't a poet too, I would no longer make shoes. It's labor, drudgery. Too broad for this person, too tight for that. It clops, it's loose, it's tight, it pinches. And the cobbler is expected to know everything, patch up anything torn. And if he's also a poet, they won't leave that side of him in peace either. And if he's a widower too, they certainly make sport of him. The youngest girls, when there's a shortage of men, want to ask him for their hand, whether he understands them or not. He's grumbling away, but Eva, meantime, uh, stops him. And this, to me, is the most touching part of the whole opera. And she sings. She goes to Sachs, not not to Walter, but to Sachs. Sachs, my friend, dear man, how can I reward you, noble man? What would I be without your love, without you? Wouldn't I have remained always a child if you had not awoken me? Through you, I have won what people prize. Through you, I learned the workings of the spirit, by you awoken. Only through you did I think nobly, freely, and boldly. You made me bloom. Yes, dear Mosca, scold me if you will, but I was on the right path. For if I had the choice, I would choose none but you. You would have been my husband. I would have given the prize to none but you. But now I am chosen for unknown torment. And if I am married today, then I had no choice. That was compulsion, necessity. And then Sachs, in this marvelous last few lines of this, this interaction, sings, my child, of Tristan und Isolde I know a sad tale. Hans Sachs was clever and did not want anything of King Marker's lot. It was high time I found the right man Otherwise, I would have run right into it. Ah, here's Lena, and he changes the subject. So here, um, Wagner indulges himself a little bit by bringing in that uh, echo, the actual music from Tristan und Isolde. Remembering that King Mark was the older king who loved and married Isolde, but she was in love with Tristan, and that was a recipe for total disaster. (laughs) And Sachs doesn't want to be in this situation. So... That gives you the gist of what's going on. So you know what they're saying, and it's very clear from their acting what's going on. Just let the music do the rest.
2: Sobald ich stehe, will ich stehe, doch will ich stehe, fängt mich zu stehe.
1: Wir haben den Schemers, <laughs> kreckt den Fuß, der üblen Not, ich wehren muss. What is with him? You are too far. Kind, this is pure Eitelkeit.
2: The shoe is knapp. Das I dich ja.
1: Lest in your room. <lacht> Immer Schuster, was ist nur mein Los, des Nachts, des Tags, komm nicht davon los. Sind <lacht> vollzogen, so, ich hab die Supportart, was meinem Schuster ein Mensch Du kommst mit dich, da gäben nicht falsch das falsches Poet für mich. Du hörst dich Strafe, so sprichst du jetzt, hast mich ja selbst in den Kopf gesetzt. Den anderen zu heben. Von allen Seiten blau und gedreht. Da kratzt, da schwatzt, der trügt, da zwickst. Der Schuster soll auch alles wissen. Klicken, was nun ihm zerrissen. Und ist der Garpoet dazu? Da lässt man am Ende die Macht, da hat keine Ruhe. Und ist der Rest der Herr zum Waren, erhebt man ihn. The youngest Mädchen Ist not man, but der hier a sie, man. Versteht sie nicht? einst, ob ja, ob nein, a man, a man, it's not a man, not Ich mag ihn schon nicht gern scheint, dass er stumpf und
5: heute
4: Isn't it? <laughs> this is how she's grown up. She's come to womanhood in the course of this. So, so now this act, their scene, then ends up with the famous uh, quintet. The same scene. David and Magdalena join them. David is promoted to being a journeyman, which is a step up the ladder. Magdalena is happy because now he's earned some money. Those two can get married. So they are going to, um, they are going to sing the the quintet. Ava begins the quintet singing of her happiness, her belief that Walter will win the master's prize somehow, while Walter sings of his joy at having discovered the song, while Sack sings poignantly, to the maiden dear I'd fain have sung my song of sadness, but must hide my heart's sweet pain and wear a mask of gladness. While David rejoices, I've been promoted, and Lena sings, with this promotion, we can get married. So let's see this then uh, from, let me tell you the singers here. Um, the sax is Hepner, yes, you know. M- Matthew Palanzani is singing the young David on this um, early in his career. And Jill uh, Grove is the Magdalena. So let's watch. Heartbreaking, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> oh. So we come to the final scene, the festival day set in a meadow in Nuremberg, Johannistag, St. John's Day. Wagner expresses hundreds of years of German pageantry with this great scene. The people, the Volk, the chorus, the Metropolitan Opera Chorus, make up such an important part of this opera, dressed in their best. The gills, the tailors, the bakers, the shoemakers, each enter with their own rallying cries and under their own banners. Uh, a good friend of mine, at the bass Leroy Lehrer, who sang for many years with the Metropolitan Opera, is Meister singer Hans Schwartz in this production. And uh, he lives in Santa Fe. We're friends. He's retired now. He told me a great backstage story you might enjoy. Um, he said, Before the procession of the Meisters, at the time when everybody's lined up backstage waiting for the procession to begin, the apprentices sing the line Pfeiffer, Spielt, sung alternately by different sections of the chorus. As one, everybody adapted the German line and sang stop by for tea in <laughs> full voice, which sounded like the German. But since so many people were singing at the same time, nobody noticed the change of text. It's quite amazing once you talk to these singers what's going on both on stage and off stage that we, the audience, never know what's happening. But now all of Nuremberg is on stage and cheering. And maybe the audience also cheers, rises to their feet at the sound, the entrance of the master singers. Sachs, when he enters, there's a roar of, of approval from the people. And this is where the real poem of Hans Sachs, the real Hans Sachs, is somewhere, the chorus. Wagner wrote to Mathilde Weisendonck in 1862 that the emotional climax of the act comes, quote, when Sachs stands up and is acclaimed by the whole assembly as the people sing in solemn style the first eight lines of Sachs' poem to Martin Luther. Sachs wrote this poem to honor Luther entitled Die Wittenbergische Nachtigall. In an inspired gesture, Wagner took these eight lines and set them as a Lutheran chorale and has them sung by the chorus to honor Sachs as he enters here. These are the actual poetry of Sachs himself Wach auf, awake. Full soon the day will dawn, I will hear the coppice gray, a rapture laden nightingale. His song resounds o'er hill and dale. The night expires in western skies. The new day in the east doth arise. The red dawn floods the fields with light and puts the gloomy clouds to flight. Luther is the nightingale who is addressed here, who draws into safe pasture the sheep who have strayed into dark regions. It is he who awakens them from obscure night, and leads them to the true light of day. So that was the original context. And I'm going to play you two excerpts here side by side. The first is Saxe's Wittenbergischer Nachtigall from a medieval um, setting by contemporary players. The song Listen Carefully begins, Wach auf, followed by Wagner's Lutheran chorale using exactly the same words just before the, the song contest begins.
3: and then the in opera
4: At last, the masters get together and the singing contest gets underway. The purpose of all this from the beginning of the opera five hours (laughs) earlier, right? With Beckmesser singing his song of borrowed words. He has gone into Sachs, in the previous scene, into the workshop of Sachs, seen this poem lying around, assuming it's by the famous Sachs, and he wants to steal it, but actually Sachs gives it to him, knowing he's probably going to mess it up, and he does. He sings the song of the borrowed words to his own music, and it's a disaster, and the people rule him out. Then Sachs suggests that the song is a fine song. It only needs to be sung by the right singer. And he proposes, this answers your question, he proposes that Walter von Stossing should sing it. Walter mounts the singer's mound and pours his heart and soul out in the famous prize song ending with the section we just heard. Volta wins the contest by the unanimous vote of the people. He l- is led to the platform where he kneels before Eva, who crowns him with the laurel wreath. Pogner would then confer the honor of master on Volta, but he declines, surprisingly. Sok stands up and reminds him of the honor he has just won. He should not disdain the armed uh, masters, but honor their art. It is not his nobility or his wealth that have won for him, but his art. Sachs reminds the young nobleman that the masters have tended that art long and well and maintained it in tough times. This is Wagner speaking directly to the audience. The past must be respected, while greatness, new ideas, and inspiration must be respected also. There, in a nutshell, is so the kernel of this piece. In the final moment, Sachs takes the golden chain of the masters and places it round Walter's neck. Eva takes the wreath and places it on Sachs' head as the people sing Heil Nuremberg, beloved Sachs. So here you're going to see the end here. And we'll talk a little bit about this, because this is always controversial. This is the traditional ending from the set of Otto Schenk, which is as Wagner wanted it, of course. Um, from the nineteen ninety three production.
1: Thank you. Welchem Pflanzen sie pflanzen um sie.
4: Um, In the New York Times article when the conductor Antonio Papano was asked, what do you think about the Meister-Singer's historical associations, Um, especially the few minutes at the end when Sachs warns darkly of the need to defend holy German art from external threats? This is always the problem piece. There is no question, Papano said, it's nationalistic, but it's not Nazi. I think that's important to remember. What Wagner is saying is that society or outside sources are going to put our traditions, our ways of doing things, at risk. So we have to be strong in defending that. Now he uses what to us are more than nationalistic words. And that's unfortunate because of the history of what happened in in World War II. But everyone, I think, defends their country, their culture, and their belief in different ways. You've got to say that in classical music, the Germans have had a lot to give. I don't go into a deep depression, he went on, when I'm conducting that moment. The words Sachs uses at the end were prompted by Cosima, Wagner's wife, who felt it needed to be underlined. The whole color of the piece changes in these two pages. It's weird, Bapano said. It becomes melodramatic, even. So you can tell that Wagner's heart was not really in it. That's a very interesting uh, comment from a conductor, I think, and a balanced one. So this is the only comedy Wagner wrote, of course. And in the character of Hans Sachs, we find the most warm, the most human of all of his characters. Always a a fervent supporter of German nationalism himself, Wagner composes music that revives pride in Germany's past with hopes for f- uh, great, great, uh, greatness in the future. So using this uh, traditional text and uh, scenario, um, Wagner does, in a sense, make an autobiographical manifesto. He is the young knight at the beginning who breaks the rules. He did that. The Meistersingers are those who restricted Wagner in his career at every turn. Hans Sachs represents a long tradition of German music and art. The struggle for Wagner's um, new music was a continuation of all that was great in German music, carrying those traditions to the future. Wagner found himself at this stage of his career as having moved on from the young noble knight Walter to Hans Sachs, the wise nobleman who is mindful of the value of tradition and the importance of art in our lives. We have been aware, made aware in this opera to respect the past and to honor the value of art, to be open to new ideas and approaches in the present with a positive hope for the future. So this is Wagner's happy opera, sandwiched in between Tristan and Isolde with its dark, tragic view of life, and Siegfried, which he finished once Meister Singer was done, ending with the ring's monumental message of redemption through sacrifice and love. Die Meistersinger simply celebrates life, love, and art. Thomas Mann said of this opera, a splendid work, a festival opera, a poem in which wisdom and boldness, the worthy and the revolutionary, tradition and the future are wedded in a manner that is at once joyous and at a deeper level awakens enthusiasm for life and art. So before we get to the final thing here, I'd like to briefly touch on another aspect that can also be controversial um, of different uh, productions in in terms of interpretation. Wieland Wagner's avant-garde Bayreuth production of 56. So it's a virtually bare stage. It's just bathed in this blue light, which does suggest flowers and lilacs, I suppose. When uh, this is a lovely story, when Hans Knappertbusch, the conductor, was asked during a rehearsal, where are the sets and props, Maestro? He replied with a completely straight face, the sets were held up and would arrive shortly. <laughs> that was it. Sacrilege was heard on all fronts. The guilds worldwide, who heavily support by rote, right of course, threatened to withhold support unless something was done. But Wieland Listening to his own muse, and this is important, used bare stages to represent the mythic universality of his grandfather's works. That's how he saw it. And if you come at it from that way, yes, I think that's a valid argument. Doesn't mean you have to love it, um, but it is a valid argument. Then 60 years after this production in Bayreuth, we see this in Bayreuth in 2017. Next one. On the left-hand side, you have the library at Van Fred, exactly how it was. as a real painting with Wagner holding forth, Cosima sitting next to him, Franz Liszt, her father sitting uh, in the window with the gray hair, and Hermann Levi. Those are the four characters in that scene. The set on the right is the set, f- a copy of that exact same room. And it's sort of a strange setup. Koski blurs the lines between life and music, so this opening hau- scene is set at Wannfried. It stands like that today. If you go to the house, that's what you'll see. Opera News in 2017 called this production one of, quote, enormous insight and great quality. I saw the production in Bayreuth that summer. I don't know if I agreed. <laughs> <laughs> the setup is a soiree in Wagner's home surrounded by friends who, in the course of the action, become the characters of De Marse Singer. So Wagner himself becomes Hans Sachs. Cosima becomes Eva. uh, Her real father, Franz Liszt, becomes Pogner, who is Eva's father. And Hermann Levi becomes Beckmesser. This characterization was provocatively anti-Jewish. Beckmesser is treated shamefully in this production, even as Hermann Levi, who actually conducted the premiere of Parsifal years later, was also treated very badly by the Wagner family in real life. In the second act, Kosky goes a little further, and he sets the second act at the Nuremberg War Crimes Trials, the courtroom, where Sachs, the philosopher, sings the van aria from the witness box. So there's some extremes. I mean, this is what we can see. Today, we have Otto Schenk's production, which is true to Wagner, chapter and verse with the stage and set pr- uh, directions exactly as Wagner intended. Wagner, of course, called his works Gesamtkunstwerke. So one is aware not only of music and singing, but of costumes, of the settings, of lighting, in one total whole pr- pr- you know, experience. Um, and I think it's a, it's a personal preference whether you may resonate better to the bare stage or, or to, to something like this. Lighting, for instance, is, I was told this, I did an interview with the great lighting director, Dwayne Schuler. He does many shows here in a radio interview. He says, lighting suggests mood, feeling, time, and place. It should always be subtle. It's no longer, of course, the means just to spotlight a singer. So watch specifically for lighting in the next opera you see. Notice how this affects the work and how it affects how we receive it and get it. Um, I was able to interview a Wagnerian director for you, Bruce Donnell, who for many, many years, from the 70s to the 90s, 34 years actually, directed here at the Met. Um, He very kindly agreed to give me an interview just for today. And he lives in Santa Fe. He still adjudicates the Met auditions. Leroy Lehrer, the singer whose little story I quoted, said about Bruce, having worked with him several times, I always appreciated how efficiently he used rehearsal time and how well prepared he was. He had always got the piece memorized. He knew every line and every note of the music. Let's talk about Die Meistersinger. Um, What are the major challenges you see in directing this enormous, long piece of Wagner's?
6: It's actually quite fun, and the challenges are... Just um, working, out. when you direct, you, you take you take an opera apart and then you put it back together again. They're wonderful characters. I believe it really should be set in its time because the characters, it's about new bourgeois society and the, the Walter, the knight, is a little bit from a different time. He seems a little old-fashioned. And it's, it's one of those operas that I think if you change the time... It just doesn't make any sense anymore. People update... Saying, anyway, some people have updated Cavalier just You don't really have arranged marriages like, <laughs> in different that's, times. That's so, true. So yeah. I think it really... I, I think it should be in its own time. I'm a happy person in life, which C major is the happiest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's a comedy, right?
6: Yeah, it is absolutely a comedy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when, when Strauss wrote Cavalier he referred to Meister Singer. He said, I want to... I want to write a comedy, when he was talking with Hoffman's like Meistersinger, not that's full of belly laughs, but gives you warm smiles. Mm. And it's like Rosenkavalier, the characters in Meistersinger are all very, very real characters with their strengths, their faults. Ava misbehaves a little bit in Act 2. Zotz has been almost more of a father than her own father. She certainly can talk to him more than she can her own father. And she really sort of flirts with him in the beginning of Act 2 to get information out of him and he knows what's going on.
2: And
4: I see that second scene when Ava comes to him um, as as her transition from being a child to being a woman where she realizes that the pain she's actually caused sucks, yes. but at the same time wanting to go to Walter, who's literally standing behind his shoulder. How do you stage that? Because to me, that's the most moving moment in the entire opera, where he holds her for that moment um, before letting her go and literally handing her over to Walter.
6: I think it's all in the music and in the text there. It's just, they're both deeply moved. They really understand each other. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's actually quite simple because it's so... It's so
4: honest. Yes, it is one moment of true honesty. Actually, yeah, well there's a lot means. of honesty. Yeah, in, in this the, piece, in right, the, in right. the piece. Because there's a naivety about Walter too. I mean he's an outsider, he's yeah. a nobleman and there he just wants the girl, nothing yes. to do with the master singers. So does that how does one direct him then? Because to me he seems to be mainly the voice of the prize song from beginning to end. I mean he's yeah. he's he's the voice who sings the lovely Aurigas.
6: If you're lucky, he has an attractive oh, okay. voice, which
4: is sometimes an in short supply.
6: <laughs> I have to say, when in the years I directed it, I had a lot of vaulters, and met up met audiences. Remember a wonderful house singer, almost taken for granted, John Alexander, who could sing any language, any style, beautifully, and be just as fresh at the end of the evening as he was at the beginning. The challenges are: it's a big piece. And as with any opera, you, you take it apart. You first work out entrances and exits, and big scenes like the 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 challenge, most challenging scene, but also the most fun scene, is the riot at the end of Act Two. And as I say, I, I assisted Nathaniel Merrill on his wonderful production, and then took it over, and that had it really carefully worked out. We all counted measures, and you. You worked with the, the chorus that does most of the singing was didn't really have to do that much. They threw pillows and, and mm-hmm. dumped buckets and things but in the background and then the soloists you worked out what they did and a lot of the action was done by the ballet yes. of the fighting yeah. who yeah. didn't have to sing. Mm-hmm. And then plus he had a story the sort of story because you've got to keep a story going it can't just go nowhere was... David, who has seen Beckmesser serenading his girlfriend Magdalena, mm-hmm. so the story was David chasing um, chasing Beckmesser all over the stage, and uh-huh. they don't have to sing during that scene. Yeah, yeah. And about who has to sing, that's something else you do. Their, are performance traditions that in the crafting of the performance that really help. And um, one of the things... Is doubling. At a certain point in a score um, this is also true with Rosenkavalier, the act 3 finale but at the end of act 1 of Meister Singer and act 2 a lot of the they're different tenor lines and different bass lines and they're written for the individual singers. Well that might be fine for a studio recording with microphones all over the place in a real theater you're never going to hear it so you do what's called doubling you find out where It gets really noisy. Then you have really what it comes down to is everybody sings everything, all the tenors sing all of the tenor lines, all the basses This is soloist and chorus Mm -hmm. sing all the bass lines, and then we hear it. But you can stage it in such a way it looks as if the different groups. That's the doubling then. The doubling, Yeah. yeah, interesting. Which is and this is these are the performance traditions which allow you much more time to work on what you'd like to do, which is the Actual staging and the characters. Mm-hmm. If you came to it fresh, didn't know this, you you could be stumped for a while. How do I make this work? Well, the solutions that have been worked out over time. The institutional memory, and the and the memory of um, the the memory of your music staff, right, which right. is why it's important to have a music staff mm-hmm. that has been there for a long time and remembers these things from. The great conductors of the past. I'm a director who really values the music. I think there's way too too much production these days, Mm -hmm. but I really appreciate in my life the old style conductors like Eric Leinsdorf and um, Carlos Kleiber. So, do
4: you get together with the conductor ahead of time before before any of the cast shows up? I mean, do or is it does this happen? As you go through the rehearsal process, it goes. As, at the
6: Met, we all get hired on the same day. Rehearsal start on a certain day, so some other places you might have a chance for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's time. You can you can work you can you can work together from the beginning.
4: Because there's also the situation where the conductor has to follow the singer. Um, depending on a the good voice. A conductor
6: always follows the singer. Well, yeah, right,
4: right, right. But where, where, where the, the orchestra, s- too. The matter right, orchestra is wonderful. <laughs> that. Yes, yes, They listen,
6: which is really To wonderful. the singers, because, yes. um,
4: because singers do not have two days alike, and that has to be accommodated. Even if it doesn't directly work with the with the direction they've been given to do, that must be a bit of a challenge. Uh, or, or, I, I mean, think that's
6: there'll be... I, I, that's, to me, that's what makes the fun of live performance. It's not a recording. Mm-hmm. And you want everybody to be, first of all, to be so secure in their music before you start the staging, they don't have to think about it. And then I want them to learn the staging so well that they don't have to think about it. And then come the performance. I love happy accidents. I like a performance can take off, something can happen that you really didn't plan. And if it's a good conductor and uh, good production, Magic can happen on the stage mm-hmm. because it's not entirely by rote. A good friend, Erie Mills, one time said it's all about communication. He said, Nobody ever got a good review because they got all their dotted eight notes, eighth notes right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. about the communication. Mm-hmm. And so it's colla- so I'm, I'm all for flexibility.
4: Yeah, and collaboration, in, in fact. Collaboration. Oh, we, all know, we
6: all know where we're going. Right, right. And if something a little different happens, people can adapt to it. And the performance takes off in a way. Each performance should be a little, a little different, different from yeah, the last one. Yeah, which is
4: part of the magic. And, that, and that is
6: because you've learned it so well. Mm-hmm. You're solid. You don't have to think about it. It's going to be there. And that allows you to improvise. I had this conversation with, with um, Carlos Kleiber. Carlos Kleiber's father, Eric Kleiber, was chief conductor at the Teatro Colon for many years in Buenos Aires. And there's a plaque on the wall that says one of the greatest enemies of a good performance is improvisation. And Carlos Kleiber said, you know, I'm not so sure about that. And he pointed to his Rosenkavalier score all the times he'd done it ohne Probe, without rehearsal. But what he didn't add was he was doing it in theaters that really knew Rosenkavalier, the cast that really knew Rosenkavalier. So it could go this way or that. And Meister Singer would be the same way. If you have a company an ensemble that is routined in the good sense they know the routine mm-hmm. i don't mean routined you're just mailing it in but that you're well rehearsed you know what's going on mm-hmm. then you can improvise a bit yeah. and that's what makes it for people go oh were you there that night when something happened and mm-hmm. that's what makes it fun that's what makes it all live theater that's so much more to- interesting than than a recording
4: of course yeah and that's what goes down the So history there has to be room
6: for flexibility and yeah, improvisation.
4: yeah. on that on that topic um, how how do you direct singers where you get the four gamut of singers do right? you have experienced singers who've done the role many times and they have maybe their own ideas of how they want to do it so can you give them their head uh, along with new singers who may be singing say Ava for the first time? and need direction and hand-holding from beginning to end. How 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 can you balance that in any production where you have a, some of both, probably, very experienced and new singers to the roles?
6: Well, again, that makes it fun. The, you can sort of count on the the experienced singers to do what they want. And I've, I've learned... Um, Evelyn Lear one time, I directed her in a monologue and she listened very politely in a very nice way because she was a lovely singer and a friend. She said, now Bruce, you should have asked me what I wanted to do because I'm by myself here. She was absolutely right and I learned a big lesson that day. So if somebody's really experienced, I will ask them in the beginning. I'll show them the courtesy that I appreciate their experience Mm. and I would say what do you like to do here? What's important to you in this thing? And most of the time, it's it's the, we're on the same page. If it's somebody brand new to a part, then I have to teach it to them, and then I always try to teach them a really correct performance. I've, lots of times I've worked with singers that haven't done a role before, uh-huh. and I know if they go into a less rehearsed or different kind of production later, this is what they're going to fall back on. So I want to give them... It's a training. I, yeah, I want training. to give them yeah. a correct yeah. Yeah. version of it. Which you give them a solid foundation. So, mm-hmm. and actually, then somebody brand new to a part can really bring new interests and in a new, because there are times when I've directed an opera for over its course of 30 years, some brand new singer, somebody who's never done a part before, will ask me a question I've never thought of. Interesting. This and better. makes me think about it in different ways. So mm-hmm. you're always learning. Yeah. And the mix of the old and new is actually quite good and refreshing. I would joke sometimes with some Italian singers, as long as you're comfortable, dear, but <laughs> but no, we still, if you treat people with respect and courtesy, hmm. um, it's very rare that you have a problem.
4: And you see that in the big houses. I'm always amazed watching rehearsals in the famous opera houses. There is a level of uh, obviously professionalism but respect for one another and give and take throughout. Absolutely, that, you know, the day the diva has gone, where everybody. Well, went. no,
6: don't, don't not diva. No, no, I'm no. all for I'm all for divas. Mm-hmm. I can think of Joan Sutherland and Leontine Price as divas. But they the were diva, collaborative. Absolutely. Yeah. The the diva, divo or diva has nothing to prove. They're secure. Mm. They don't have to be combative. They know what they want. If there's something that really doesn't sit right with them, they'll speak up. Mm-hmm. But they're actually really easy to work with. It's mm-hmm. the insecure ones that are harder to work yeah, with. Yeah. So what do you do? Do you challenge their insecurity? No, you try to give them security. Mm-hmm. You, you Stroke the ego. Exactly. Yeah. Stroke then You know, it's got to be fun. for You want to do it right, but it has to be enjoyable for everybody. If you mm-hmm. don't really, really enjoy it, you
4: should be doing something else. And that comes across the footlights too. Absolutely. Though.
0: That was lecturer Desiree Mays discussing Wagner's Die Meistersinger von Nuremberg. Be sure to follow the Metropolitan Opera Guild, Opera News, and the Metropolitan Opera on your favorite social media platforms to keep up to date with all things opera. I'm Stuart Holt, and thank you so much for listening.